0: Hey folks, it's Jesse, the founder of MaxFun. Since we postponed our annual Max Fun drive in mid-March, we have gotten a lot of questions about if and when we'd be rescheduling it. And honestly, we've been asking ourselves the same thing. Well, now we have an answer for you. The 2020 Max Fun drive will start on July 13th. That's coming up soon. We decided to have the drive now because it's always brought a lot of joy and excitement to our community and certainly to us. And to be totally honest, it's also the main source of income for some of our hosts. Like pretty much everything right now, this year's drive is going to be a little different. Uh, We'll still be bringing you very special episodes, fun community activities, premium thank you gifts. But we also know it's a weird time and for some folks, a really difficult one. Some people are in a position to become new or upgrading members. Others can't right now. And that is okay. We'll have ways for you to support MaxFun at every level, including some ways that won't cost you anything. We're also going to run the drive for 4 weeks instead of 2. We didn't think it was a good time to be rushing anybody and uh, having a longer drive lets us be a little more low key in our drive pitch. It also gives us more time to do fun stuff like the weekly live streams we'll be putting on for charity throughout the drive. Most importantly, we want the 2020 Max Fund drive to highlight all the ways we support each other and our communities. We also want to show how grateful we are to you for making all the work that we do possible. Stay safe. We'll see you July 13th for the Max Fun Drive.
1: Hello, this is Rachel McElroy.
2: Hello, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. Do you think the audience would? Be okay with just forty five minutes of dead air silence. Me and you climb under the desk, lay down, take a quick forty five minutes snooze. <laughs> I'll turn on the meditation app. I'll turn on some white noise. We're in the studio, so I can crank the you know the sound system with some and that s- Soldier Boy. I can crank the Soldier Boy because I know that you love listening to that to help you sleep. Um, and the two of us will just treat ourselves to a little snooze. Because our, our, our listeners are always talking about, hey, what could, hey, you guys are always just pouring your heart out of your sleeves into mm-hmm. our open ears and mouths. And wh- wh- what have we done for you lately? And it's like, that's a good question. Maybe we could just do a dead silence 45 minutes of episode and you don't tell on us to to advertisers mm-hmm. or max fun. Mm-hmm. Do you think they would, Do you? I, our audience is a decent size, do you think they would all be cool? Because all it would take is one week link <laughs> to send an email to, to Jesse and be like, hey, get them in trouble.
1: If if you took that 45 minute snooze, yeah. do you think it would really make a difference?
2: It would make more, is it better than nothing, huh?
1: I guess that's true.
2: I think it'd be great. And I think let's try it starting right now. Can't sleep right now. Anyway, I'm too excited to talk about how uh, excited I am to talk about how excited I am on this week's episode <laughs> of Wonderfuls, <laughs> a show where we talk about things that are good. And uh, how, are you do- how are you doing?
1: Um, pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. A little stressed. That's you know. a
2: lie. That's I feel, I feel like neither – we just had a remote teaching sesh with uh our son's daycare, which has reopened in a limited capacity. We have not sent Henry back in.
1: I think – I. you know what helps is I keep reminding myself that they are doing this because they think we want it.
2: Yeah. They're
1: not doing this to set us up to fail. They're thinking, let's offer them oh, something. Oh, it
2: felt like it, though, huh?
1: <laughs> 30 minutes
2: 30, sitting, 30 sitting minutes. on the
1: floor with his classmates – Learning about the planets.
2: Of Henry playing like a reverse staring contest to see how long he could go without looking at the people talking to him on the computer screen. It was rough,
1: rough stuff. I just, I I keep reminding myself, they think we want this. Right. They're not doing this because they think we need it. Right. They think we want it.
2: Yeah, they're so wrong. Um, (laughs) Hey, do you have any small wonders though?
1: You always ask me first, and I'm never prepared to go first.
2: Right. So I think and you ultimately, just, I, like
1: declarative, I I'm have going a small first, wonder.
2: Uh, <laughs> grenadine. I enjoy it in a cocktail. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a cherry syrup. Um, mm-hmm. Long before I was, uh, before I drank adult beverages, we go to Applebee's, and I would say, let me just get some Coke with some grenadine in it. Because they didn't have cherry Coke most of the time. I'd just be like, let me get a Coke with some grenadine in it. And that was always such an exotic treat for me, uh, <laughs> was Coke with grenadine. I've always fostered a love for this sweet red syrup. And uh, I enjoy it in uh, many mini, a mini beverage for grown grown folks these days. And uh, that's my story, folks, and I'm sticking to it.
1: Uh, I will follow your theme okay. and suggest taking a fruit juice and okay. putting it in a cocktail. Okay. Okay. We, um, we have been really good lately about getting a lot of, a lot of fruit items. Mm. Uh, we've, we've had some watermelon, some pineapple. Maybe, uh,
2: not to brag, watermelon, pineapple, you heard of them? (laughs) We got them.
1: Uh, and so a lot of times I will take the juice from that fruit. I will put it in my cocktail. Right. It is a summer treat.
2: You haven't lived until you've seen Rachel pick up a whole watermelon with her hands. And, just and squeeze just it. Squeeze it, yeah. and the juice comes out without the 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 sort of hull of the 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 husk of the watermelon breaking. I don't know how the fuck she does it. Yep, it's pretty incredible. It's I like squeeze
1: it. Looks like a deflated balloon.
2: It's like she's wringing out a towel. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Hey, you go first this week. What you what you, what you got on deck?
1: I am bringing something, and I'll be curious to hear your experience with this because yes. I don't know if this was just a phenomenon for me. Okay, uh, I'm talking about collage.
2: Collage of many things put together into one thing.
1: Uh, things cut and glued on a piece of paper in a, a pleasing array.
2: Are we talking about um, sort of the, the the like artistic, like Eric Carl? Is that the dude's name, the Hungry Caterpillar fella? But I did a whole fucking segment on him. I can't yeah, remember his no, name. That is. He like worked in collage. You're talking about that. Or are you talking about like here are some pictures of my of some of both. my favorite well, members of 98 degrees? Why just one degrees? and not the other? Okay, both. Okay, maybe it also it could be like an artistic spread of pictures of Nick Lachey's face and body abs <laughs> nipples powerful just, arms
1: just isolating particular body parts and pasting them yeah, separately
2: I can I could see your dad like going into your room and be like hey Rachel what and just seeing you putting together a huge <laughs> poster board of just Nick Lachey's nipples mm-hmm. and where they have sort of found their way to the surface
1: oh this is terrible just this a is, just
2: a just, just as <laughs> just grotesque Griffin. like a highway map of Nick Lachey nipples. No. No. Um, okay.
1: Just to be clear, I was not a fan of the 98 degrees. Baby, you don't have
2: to impress anybody here. We're all friends here.
1: Um, collage was a big thing for me in maybe middle school. Mm. This was something that you would give to other people. A lot of times on a birthday,
2: Whoa! you
1: would take photos uh, and cut them up into little shapes and put them on a piece of paper. I was suggesting that you might have experience with this because I thought maybe after one of your theatrical performances sure. there were collages made of of people in character.
2: Mostly as like director's gifts. Mm-hmm. In, in fact, that was fairly traditional. Um, more, more like scrapbook or, or poster style design. Not like, you know, I feel like with when you say collage, like you have to be cutting interesting shapes. <laughs> <laughs> you get just include a bunch of pictures all glued together uh, the only time i remember me doing this is i made one for myself of all my friends
1: yeah right
2: uh that i had in my room i bought like a big poster board at like walmart or something like uh-huh. that and i was very excited about it and i just like thumbtacked yeah. all these pictures of uh
1: one of my friends uh this was several years ago now was uh cleaning out his stuff from his parents house and And found his collage from high school, posted it on Facebook, tagged us all. It was
2: a trip. I remember destroying my collage and just taking all the pictures down off of it. I think when I moved to Cincinnati, because I had to do a real hard. I was really trying to condense my life Marie Kondo style long before Uh that that was a thing. And saying like, well, I could fit all the photos on this in one very small sandwich size Ziploc bag. Or I could carry this entire huge fucking poster board with me across state lines didn't didn't make the trip.
1: I will say in middle school one of my friends gifted me a blank journal but on the inside cover was a collage of Leonardo DiCaprio photos.
2: <laughs> and was this I imagine the journal didn't come like this. No. The journal. No, was, okay. Uh, so, so, what was the thinking there? Uh, just like, here's where you can write some, here's a place for you to safely write some <laughs> of your most erotic poetry about Leonardo DiCaprio.
1: My argument is that she took an impersonal gift of a journal, made it personal by cutting up pictures but, of a celebrity that I liked. Well, and but, well, them.
2: what's the message, though? Because a journal is like where you do some creative writing or maybe a little bit introspective writing. And is it like, Here's a journal, and I'm going to go ahead and give you a prompt. Look at all these Leo nips. (laughs) It's Leo nips all over the front cover. You look at those, you center yourself for 15 seconds, and then you begin writing.
1: You have a strange misunderstanding of what a teen girl finds attractive about uh, her love interest. It is not typically nipples.
2: I think your memory is Mm -hmm. starting. Yeah, I know. You've got your finger on the pulse of... My finger right on it.
1: (laughs) um collage is something that is also used in in high art form mm-hmm. uh not just you know teens um we became most familiar with it i think as a as a globe uh with the cubist painters mm-hmm. uh pablo picasso uh george brock they kind of uh would take a painting and And then maybe cut out some newsprint in a shape or something and put it on the painting. It's also called mixed media
2: a lot of times. i call it freaking lazy. Just paint. Uh. (laughs) Just paint it. Use paint to paint it.
1: Who is this character, by the way?
2: I don't know. I'm so tired. (laughs) I don't know who it is. I don't know who's coming out of me anymore.
1: Um, But this was not actually something that they originated. This is something that has been around forever. Uh, Japanese artists began to stick paper onto silk as early as the 1100s.
2: Whoa.
1: Uh, In Europe, paper collage happened in the 1400s. The technique of just kind of taking prints and putting them on Canvas is something that is very common. In the Victorian era, this happened a lot in scrapbooks and homemade Valentine's cards.
2: Adorable. Yeah. I mean, stained glass windows is also, if you think about it, just glass collage. If you really sit down and you think like about it. like a
1: mosaic, I guess, would be another example of sh- tile collage.
2: Tile collage. Uh-huh. everything, And really, if you really think about it, paint on canvas is just a paint collage. Oh. <laughs> and if you think about it, A sandwich is just a meat, lettuce, and cheese and bread collage. If you really think about it, I am a blood, muscle, and bone collage.
1: Think about that. Wow. You are writing a poem over there, and
2: I am loving it. The universe is just an atomic collage.
0: Whoa,
2: that's something. Hey, babe, there's something to that. Write that down. (laughs) Write that down in your Leo (laughs) nipple journal. Atomic collage. Ooh, that's good. That is good.
1: Um, there was actually something similar. Uh, feminist artists in the 1960s, uh, there was an example of a, a piece called Body Collage <laughs> uh, <laughs> where the artist rolled around in shredded printer paper. Yeah. Uh, her body painted in wallpaper paste. Cool. What she called an active collage.
2: That's neat. It also reminds me, that I don't know. Oh, man, I can't get on this whole rabbit hole. There is a series of G.I. Joe... <laughs> Uh like PSA uh, spoofs that were like early internet oh, videos. Is this is body massage. Just sounded like body massage. Yeah. Sorry.
1: That's nothing.
2: That's nothing. It's nothing. <laughs> it's absolutely nothing.
1: Um this is also something pop artists used, just taking everyday ordinary objects in their work. Yes. Uh and then also if you think about the seventies and eighties, posters for bands like the Sex Pistols oh, used sure. a lot of this collage. Uh so I think it's, it's interesting to just kind of look at, you know, this is like an at-home, a decoupage. You take a table, you put a bunch of pictures on it, suddenly it's art. Love it. Uh, or, you know, you can go into a gallery and see a lot of this, too. Yeah. I think it, I find it really um, accessible because a lot of times as an artist, um, my skills of capturing an image are, are not great. Um, oh, don't sell yourself short. But bait. if I can cut it out of a magazine, paste it on something, mm. all of a sudden I don't have to draw. You know that globe. I've I've got a picture of a globe. Really obsessed with there.
2: globes. This segment, <laughs> just a lot of globe chat. Uh, can I tell you about my first thing? Yes. My first thing is uh, weird and abstract and sort of conceptual, which is just sort of where my mind is at right now. Opening a treasure chest. It's oh. always so good to open up. A treasure chest.
1: This must be why unboxing videos are so popular.
2: I think it is. There's a lot of sort of ways that you can extrapolate this idea out into the real world. I think, yes, unboxing videos. I think uh, the surprise egg, surprise bag, sort of YouTube craze for kids uh, where they, you know, make fairly cheap toys and you open up a bag and, oh man, there's a 1 in 48 chance of getting this you know, silver Gudetama or whatever the fuck. Uh, it's, it's a very universal thing. Uh, and especially in sort of the domain of video games, opening a treasure chest is like such a common thing. Um, and it struck me that like, regardless of the game or whatever thing, uh, regardless of like, whether or not I even know what's inside a said chest, every time I open up a chest in some game or whatever, it, there is a dopamine kick associated with that. That is just sort of like irrefutable a hundred percent of the time, no matter what. And I think that's kind of like uh the, 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 I don't know, the icon of opening a treasure chest, the symbol of opening a treasure chest being that sort of like consistently uh exciting yeah it's kind of incredible. Um and it's like that's ubiquitous across like all games. Uh Zelda is like a huge example of that where you're exploring dungeons and there's little chests with you know cash or keys or bombs or whatever the fuck in it. Is. But every dungeon has one big chest that you're working your way towards and every single time you're opening up that big chest like oh shit here it goes uh d&d obviously any role-playing game it's like a big thing i've been playing a card game on my phone called slay the spire which is all around like one to two hour long runs along which along the way you'll open like a dozen chests and even though i've played it for so long every chest i'm like fuck yeah what's gonna be in this one i don't know um also i think that there is a we mentioned the surprise bag uh toy craze um In video games, there's also a concept called loot boxes, which uh, became sort of legislated over the past few years because it's like, you know, this game is free, but here's a random box you can buy for a dollar that might have a new costume for your guy in it. Uh, And kids were spending hundreds and thousands of dollars on these loot boxes because they were not sort of financially responsible or financially sort of educated. uh, And game developers were sort of like enticing them to blow huge, Also, yeah, huge you have no cash.
1: understanding of money.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. And, and <laughs> so, like, legislators have sort of uh, come after that practice and made it more sort of, uh, you, you have to be more transparent about, like, what's in these boxes and what your chances are of getting each thing. And, uh, you know, if you're a YouTuber, you can't juice the system because a developer, like, paid you money to give you a fake box that, oh, man, this one has all kinds of great stuff in it. Um, I don't know why I talked like that just now but basically it's gambling anyway treasure chests as like a concept as an icon uh are a are a trope largely uh because of pirates and the like concept of buried treasure uh which you know is the, the origins of this idea of keeping treasure in a box in clandestine locations um and archaeologically speaking there are lots of examples of troves that have been discovered or hordes uh, that have been discovered, uh, and like so much so that there are like all kinds of categorization systems for ar- that archaeologists use when describing. Uh, what are they called? Wealth deposits, um, which is really interesting. I'd never really looked into it. There's a concept called a founder's hoard, which is uh, comprised of like unfinished objects that the like creator was planning on returning to. Uh,
1: this makes me think of the the pyramids.
2: Uh, yeah, well, that's, I mean, yes, the pyramids also, uh, largely included what were called votive hordes and votive hordes were essentially hordes of treasure that were never intended to be dug up. Like that is their final, yeah. they are, they are buried there to intended to be their final resting place. So for a lot of ceremonial purposes, uh, the, the pyramids had a lot of votive hordes. Uh, the idea of buried treasure is almost entirely like fictional, And there are certainly some examples like throughout history of just sort of like mad rulers burying their vast sums and then like it instantly being found because somebody didn't keep a secret or whatever the fuck. But uh, the idea of a pirate doing this is almost unheard of. The only one, uh, the only pirate sort of confirmed to do this was William Kidd. Uh, who was sailing in New York City? He started out, I think, a privateer, but he had for sure slipped into doing uh, a great deal of piracy. And so he buried treasure, I think, in Long Island somewhere before sailing into New York City to use as a kind of bargaining chip in case he was uh, caught and prosecuted. He could say, like, "Well, uh, don't don't hang me because yeah. there's all this treasure." That gambit. Did not work. He was killed. Uh, and this became sort of the origins of a lot of fictional stories like The, uh, the Gold Bug by Edgar Allan Poe and most notably Treasure Island by uh, Robert Louis Stevenson. And that is how this like idea of a treasure chest being this object of desire uh, hidden away in some dungeon or whatever uh, rose to prominence. I think that that is just a cool idea. Like, I think it's a cool thing that there is a games are all about building around like feedback loops of
0: uh,
2: you know challenge followed by reward, where your efforts are sort of put through the paces and then you receive a prize for said effort yeah. at the end of it. And almost ubiquitously, that prize is a treasure chest. And you know, even though it's been in every game forever it's every time I open a treasure chest i'm like fuck yeah here we go what's in this box let's find out
1: i bet like archaeologists and paleontologists like i bet that's part of the reason they got in the game oh yeah oh yeah this idea of just like stumbling upon something incredibly
2: valuable Mm -hmm. you know that you
1: have to like work to you know and i'm sure
2: there's an archaeologist that like cracked open a crypt somewhere and there was just a bunch of gold and treasure laying on the ground and like ah fuck if it was if it if only this had been in a chest that would have been so much cooler. <laughs> it's so messy. I could also get into like the concept of mimics, which is another sort of fiction, obviously game thing of monsters in the shape of treasure chests, which is like a oh, manifestation. Oh, you know about this? Yeah, I mean it's like a a, a tropey sort of D anD D thing. You know, what also I'm picturing right of, now. What's I'm that?
1: picturing a treasure chest with arms and legs. Is yeah, that?
2: Yeah, yeah. and a right big tongue and sharp teeth. <laughs> yeah, more or less. Yeah, essentially. Wow. Uh But that would I, if I talked about that, I would sound like a big nerd oh, as well. opposed to a cool athlete like i have <laughs> like so you far normally. today yeah.
1: yeah hey can i steal your way yes griffin yeah you know it's a shame what is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you they can only be for dinner that's true cuz of the law but wait wait what's this coming across our desk
2: the law is different now is <laughs> factor
1: Griffin we have personal messages
2: yeah baby
1: (laughs) this one is for Nick it is from Shannon you are the most wonderful person I've ever met and after one year together I still can't believe you exist thank you for coming into my life and loving our tiny furry idiots as much as I do you make every day feel like a Friday pizza party and I can't wait to hang out for the rest of our lives bread babes forever see you later lick
2: I don't know why Friday pizza party hit me as hard as it did. Me too. Because it, it, I heard that and I was like, what does that mean? But then I thought of like what a Thursday pizza party looked like. And I was like, fuck that. See,
1: I was thinking like it was more like the class had earned it and they were oh rewarded. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like you got enough stickers or something and now you got a pizza
2: party. We got party. enough stickers. We're going to get some $5 <laughs> hot and readies and we're going to watch the first 45 minutes of Finding Demo. <laughs> Uh, here's another jumbotron this one's for john and it's from emma who says hey love i'm writing this on your couch soon to be our couch because i'm finally moving to austin i couldn't ask for a more supportive caring partner and i can't wait to start our life together here's to many years of endless pop culture references homemade pasta and (sighs) finally getting me to watch the wire love you always of course
1: i would recommend austin as a destination
2: uh yes, maybe not in the middle of them dog days.
1: That's when you moved here, right?
2: I did. I moved here in July. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the the days didn't get much doggier than those. Mm-hmm. I think I showed up here and immediately my underwear was just like completely saturated <laughs> with sweat. Like I stepped off the plane and it was just like <laughs>
1: I'm Mallory O'Mara, a weird fiction reader who enjoys whiskey and owns a book weight. And I'm Bria Grant, a science fiction reader who likes iced tea and reads to escape the world. And we host Reading Glasses, a weekly show that dives into reading suggestions, goals, complaints, and the really important questions like, what are the best reading snacks? And seriously, Mallory, what is a book weight for? Every week, we talk about reading. It's not a book club. You're not going to have to listen to us review a book you haven't read. You just have to be excited about books, authors, the bookish community, writing, and talking about reading. We can literally talk about reading, like, all day long. Reading glasses. Every
0: Thursday on MaximumFun.org. Glasses. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I thought about doing that.
2: <laughs> hey, what's your, uh, what's that second thing?
1: My second thing yeah. it is... Mm. A trip to the Poetry Corner. Hey, oh
2: my gosh. I feel like it's been so long. <laughs> the Poetry calling salad and poetry. <laughs> we got some lines. We got some verses. And baby, come along with me. But I don't know what to do about those salads and scrambled poems. They're calling again. Do you like how I shorten poems into sort of one? I do, actually. Like, poems. How do you say it? Poem. Yeah. poem. It's stronger. (laughs) I
1: would like to talk about an incredible poet who I knew first as a poet, but is actually known for many things. And that is Audre Lorde.
2: Oh, okay.
1: If anybody that has taken a woman's studies course, has studied feminism in any way, has heard of this
2: incredible woman. I've heard of this incredible woman.
1: Yeah, Uh, I actually I was wondering if I was kind of off and thinking of her as a poet first, but she has created 11 volumes of poetry and five works of prose.
2: That's so that seems like a lot.
1: That's a lot.
2: That's 16 things altogether.
1: Audre Lorde was a black American writer, feminist, womanist, librarian and civil rights activist. Uh, She described herself as, quote, a black lesbian mother warrior poet.
2: Fuck yeah. Mm -hmm. Fuck Yes.
1: Uh, so she she passed away in 1992, but was kind of at the beginning of the whole concept of uh, intersectional feminism. OK, uh, because as, as she described herself, you know, a lot of her a lot of her qualities crossed over and sure. impacted her feminism. Uh, and she was always kind of critical of non-intersectional feminism. Uh, and this this is kind of one of those famous things that you may have heard before. This is a quote from one of her essays. Uh, She said those of us who stand outside the circle of this society's definition of acceptable women Those of us who have been forged in the crucibles of difference, those of us who are poor, who are lesbians, who are black, who are older, know that survival is not an academic skill. It is learning how to take our differences and make them strengths. For the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. They may allow us temporarily to beat him at his own game, but they will never enable us to bring about genuine change. And this fact is only threatening to those women who still define the master's house as their only source
2: of support." I've heard, yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. yes.
1: Uh, she, she became an academic relatively early. She started as a poet, got her like, poems published in Seventeen Magazine, uh, and then got a, a fellowship that allowed her to teach, which is actually where she met her partner of many years, uh, and um, became kind of a, a member of this academic area that was primarily white and kind of had to discover a lot about herself and her priorities and her interests in that experience. So she was a poet. But then also became an academic and ended up writing a lot of essays about her experience. Uh, And I wanted to read one of her poems.
2: Please do. Uh,
1: So this is from the Collected Poems of Audre Lorde. Uh, It was copyrighted in 1978. It is called A Litany for Survival. For those of us who live at the shoreline, standing upon the constant edges of decision, crucial and alone, for those of us who cannot indulge the passing dreams of choice, who love in doorways coming and going in the hours between dawns, looking inward and outward at once before and after, seeking a now that can breed futures like bread in our children's mouths so their dreams will not reflect the death of ours. For those of us who were imprinted with fear, like a faint line in the center of our foreheads, learning to be afraid with our mother's milk, for by this weapon, this illusion of some safety to be found, the heavy-footed hope to silence us, for all of us, this instant and this triumph, we were never meant to survive. And when the sun rises, we are afraid it might not remain. And when the sun sets, we are afraid it may not rise in the morning." When our stomachs are full, we are afraid of indigestion. When our stomachs are empty, we are afraid we may never eat again. When we are loved, we are afraid love will vanish. When we are alone, we are afraid love will never return. And when we speak, we are afraid our words will not be heard nor welcome. But when we are silent, we are still afraid. So it is better to speak, remembering we were never meant to survive. Jesus (laughs) Isn't that incredible? That is is such a beautiful expression of the experience of being marginalized, right?
2: Like, I mean, in a way that you and I could never uh, yeah. fully comprehend for sure. That is like I, I'm like struggling for words over here.
1: I. There are there are moments in that poem that I just think are so succinct and brilliant. This idea of of so their dreams will not reflect the death of ours, I find incredibly powerful. And she talks a lot about this idea of you know when you when you are in a group of marginalized people, you are often told to to be silent, to kind of adapt to the culture so that you can get along. And Audre Lorde oftentimes said like. That is not a way to success for no. us. No, you know that is not as who, that is not who we are. That is not going to bring us the freedom we want. Um, the Audre Lorde Project was founded in 1994, two years after her death. It is a lesbian, gay, bisexual, two spirit, trans, and gender non-conforming people of color center for community organizing, and it is all building on her legacy of speaking out for oppressed and marginalized groups um she she left such a legacy in her writing and in her activism that like the work still continues today in her name which is an incredibly powerful thing for a poet
2: it's so that was so fucking incredible baby mm-hmm. thank you for uh bringing that i i for sure had like heard her name before, but I had never like heard her poetry before. And She's was... an
1: intimidating person to bring because it's it's difficult to talk about her impact in a you know ten minute segment. No, of yeah,
2: of course. <laughs> uh,
1: but I wanted to draw attention to her poetry because I think a lot of people do know her for her activism and her essays and her critical thought. Uh, but her poetry is incredible too. Yeah, this this um this is an important person to look into uh, if you are not familiar with her work. Um, and there, there is a lot there that just reads as revolutionary, but then is also so common sense. Yeah. You know, there's something kind of intimidating about a lot of philosophers and intellectuals and academics. And I feel like she stays very rooted in who she is and the power she can bring in just being that person. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I would recommend it.
2: I'm not talking about fucking Fritos or whatever. <laughs> No, uh, my second thing is, uh, I'm actually pretty excited about it. I was struck because yesterday I was singing one of these songs and I was like, oh my God, how have I not brought this? I want to talk about schoolhouse rock. Oh. Schoolhouse rock. It strikes me, um, I, I I was going to talk about this like later in the segment. I in, I want to say like around 2000 or so, I was definitely like early early teens, late tweens. Uh, I was in a production uh, called Schoolhouse Rock Live, which was written in 1993. And it was essentially like a stage performance of something like 20 Schoolhouse Rock songs. Um, and because of that, I am intimately familiar with those 20 Schoolhouse Rock songs. Uh, it's the nature of like being in a show. Uh, you, you know have to memorize your lines or you have to memorize the lyrics of the songs that you sing. Uh, And it just so happens that the, the, the lyrics of these songs are so, like, deeply educational about these, like, incredibly foundational subjects that, like, I know them very well. However... Uh, most of the 64 episode run of Schoolhouse Rock uh, took place in the uh, late 70s uh, right. to early 80s, and so I imagine there's lots of people who uh, were not in the production Schoolhouse Rock Live, who maybe have no exposure to Schoolhouse Rock, uh, and that's why I thought it would be like yeah, good to talk was, about. There was a, a
1: lot of like nostalgia in the 90s for like that time period. Yes, and so I, I remember that being like a real cool thing in in the like mid to late 90s of like hey look at this super retro looking
2: there have been a couple of revivals of schoolhouse rock uh i think in the 90s is there were i think eight seasons right and the main canon of schoolhouse rock exists in the first four seasons which i'll dive into the fifth season was like computer chip billy inside them and it was like (laughs) i think that was the season that was in the 90s and it was like all about how computers work but it was like A month later, like, they those episodes were outdated. Where it's like, I've got eight kilobytes of RAM. It's like, no, (laughs) get the fuck out of here. No way, man. Um, The uh, Schoolhouse Rock, if you are, like, not familiar with it at all, was a series of three-minute-long educational cartoon music videos, essentially, tackling a very broad range of subjects uh, that aired on ABC, uh, mostly in the 70s. um, And like i said there have been a couple sort of short-lived reboots here and there i think in the late aughts there was a, a short season about climate change um which is awesome um but the main body that like songs that everyone talks about when they talk about um schoolhouse rock uh are the first four seasons uh which uh cover uh science economics history mathematics and civics which is like a lot of stuff. There's a lot of words in there that bored me, a 33 year old (laughs) man uh, that like enraptured the youths at the time. Uh, And they had, these songs had so much staying power because of like how catchy they were. Uh, The the whole series was created by a guy named David McCall, uh, who was an advertising exec. And the story goes that he, his son uh, was having a lot of trouble with his uh, multiplication tables But uh, McCall realized that his son also knew all the lyrics to every Rolling Stones song.
1: Yeah. So, like, he
2: sort of put two and two together. He hired a guy named Bob Doro to to write a song about multiplication. uh, And that song was called Three is a Magic Number, which is the first episode of Schoolhouse Rock is Three is a Magic Number. And uh, I'm going to play it right now. A man and a woman had a little baby. Yes, they did. They
1: had three.
0: 369, 12, 15,
1: 18, 21, 24, 27, 30. 369.
2: So uh, an animator working at the well, 15, same firm 18. as as David McCall uh, made these visuals to accompany the song, and then they pitched it to ABC as a series where it attracted the attention of Michael Eisner and then it took off like a rocket. I feel
1: like my friend had a like alternative rock version where a bunch of musicians got together and did covers of these songs. Almost certainly, yes, yes. I, yeah. I,
2: I think that that, uh, yeah. I remember that as well, but I don't, uh, God, it's so hard. There were so many alternative rock covers of every imaginable <laughs> type of music under the sun. Uh, so the first four seasons, uh, I will go in order. The first season, it's Multiplication Rock. Just what it says on the 10th. Three is a magic number in there. Uh, also, My Hero Zero, uh, another memorable song, and Figure Eight. Uh, both of those songs were in the these. musical. I remember these. I just remember
1: three. Figure Eight
2: is double four. You know, know that one? Okay, anyway. <laughs> um, uh, the next season was Grammar Rock, which is probably pound for pound the one that people know the most songs from. Can you name any, uh, can you name songs from Grammar Rock? I'll be curious to see how, no. how much this has been. Really? No. Conjunction, junction?
1: Oh. What's your function? junction. Uh,
2: we got uh, unpack your adjectives. We got lolly, lolly, lolly. Get your adverbs here. Oh,
1: my gosh. These, okay. Uh, yes. Rufus
2: Xavier Sasparilla, a song about pronouns, uh, which was my number that I had to sing, oh, in, which was this just uh, endless screed of madness that was it was the hardest song in the show and I had to do it because it's all about how uh, it's like Rufus Xavier Sasbrilla had an armadillo named something 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 and uh, he knew a woman named something 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 Mm. and but you can say that much much faster with pronouns uh is the whole hook of the song anyway uh just a lot a lot of bops in grammar rock uh then uh during the bicentennial in 1976 we get america rock which there is where you is. get all of your history and this, your civics this
1: is the one when i think of schoolhouse rock
2: I think of uh, I'm Just a Bill. I'm Just a Bill. You get uh, Mother Necessity and the preamble, which was in the Schoolhouse Rock uh, live musical and saved me in so many different like history classes at that point because the preamble is literally just the preamble to the Constitution. Oh, that's handy. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and... and- Secure the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity to ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. This was... 20 fucking years ago <laughs> this was 20 years ago i was I in the show and i we remember had it to
1: memorize that uh, in ninth grade and uh we did not get that song at our fingertips and that would have been
2: very helpful it's literally that is all the song they repeat it yeah. from there it is just the preamble to the constitution and i remember it because it took place in song form and that's incredible yes uh, and then uh, the the fourth season, the final sort of season of the main uh, run of the show was Science Rock, uh, which has uh, a few jams in it that are lesser known. Uh, Interplanet Janet, which teaches you the planets of the solar system. Uh, Do the Circulation, which is all about the circulatory system. Uh, we get Victim of Gravity, which is about gravity. Uh, but then there's also Electricity. Electricity, uh, which is also a fantastic song. Um, And the songs, as evidenced by the fact that I can remember one 20 years later, word for word, uh, the songs were super catchy. The show was super well-received. And, like, the amount of sheer educational work done by this program is is literally immeasurable. Um, And that is such a tricky needle to thread. Like, educational kids' TV programming that is not just sort of – vacuous and uh in sort of like the, the lessons of which are not sticky, like they're intangible. Like that is such a difficult thing to pull off.
1: It is, yeah.
2: And Schoolhouse Rock, uh so many of its sixty four episodes of its sixty four songs are incredibly memorable, catchy, well written, well performed, in like and very helpful mnemonically speaking songs. Better than Baby Shark. Way better than Baby Shark. Um, and I just I just love them. I, I, I love the songs for their educational purposes. I also really loved being in that show, because it was like all my friends uh, and I just like... It was an easy... There was not a lot of emotional weight.
1: Was there choreography?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, the circulation was out of control. <laughs> you had to get that blood pumping. Uh, yeah, and... That's it. I want to end with uh, the final song from Schoolhouse Rock, which is one of my favorite songs. I don't know if you've heard it before. Uh, it's The Tale of Mr. Morton, and it's all about uh, subjects and predicates, and I think it's just a really nice, pretty song. So I'll end my segment on that.
0: Mr. Morton
2: walked down the street. Mr. Morton walks.
0: Mr. Morton talked to his cat.
2: Mr. Morton talked. Hello,
1: cat. You look good. Mr. Morton was lonely. Mr. Morton was. Mr. Morton is the subject of the sentence and what the predicate says he
2: does. Do you want to know what our friends Mr. at home are Morton. talking about? Yes. Well, uh, Meredith says, I've gotten into embroidery recently to pass the time. There's something about the action of sewing that is really calming and fun to do. It's also a great way to keep my hands busy while listening to podcasts. Yeah, I've never... Uh,
1: uh, I uh, my, my grandma was like incredible oh yeah at embroidery in her um in her early days probably close to my age actually yeah uh and i love it i i just i there's something so um it feels like an heirloom it feels like you're making an heirloom yes like when i see it i feel
2: like this is something that somebody is going to keep forever like the uh creepy boy holding a cat (laughs) that no holding a little ball and cup is that what it is? That's what it is. Okay, I thought it was a cat. We there is a, a cat
1: in the picture. Okay,
2: we have a large embroidery <laughs> thing that Rachel's grandma made, but and it's beautiful. Certain, it's well done. It's it is incredibly. Haunted. It's incredibly haunted.
1: It is certain that it contains the soul of a young child.
2: Yes, or that the soul of a young child somewhere it's contains that painting. It's yeah, it's, it's, hard it's, to some, say. it's something. There's something. I think we can all agree there's something. Sandra says, a big problem in Minneapolis, especially at the lake by my house, is people feeding ducks human food. To solve this, the city of Minneapolis made uh, little rubber duck picnic table centerpieces, reminding people to not feed the ducks. It's very cute to see little rubber ducks all around the picnic area, and it seems to be very effective.
1: That's Hmm. so charming.
2: It's, it's, It's very nice. I remember I learned uh shamefully recently not to give not shamefully recently maybe within the last decade or so uh because i said something on the pod, like a podcast like yeah man give a whole baguette to a duck it'll be <laughs> awesome the ducks have earned this mm-hmm. and then got a bunch of people who knew much better than me saying you like need, no 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 you
1: needed a schoolhouse rock song
2: i did it's like
1: don't give bread to a duck
2: that's don't really good
1: give milk to a cat
2: well are you not supposed to give milk to a cat no Okay, see, I, I apparently need this song very importantly. Chocolate is not for dogs. It's important to remember that. Baby. We're done. The reboot. It's We're- coming back. <laughs> hey, uh, thank you to Bowen and Augustus for the use of our theme song, uh, Money Won't Pay. You can find a link to that. Uh, in the episode description and thank you so much to maximum fun for having us on the network
1: yeah you may have seen that they have announced the upcoming max fun drive you can yes. find a lot more information about that online
2: uh we had promos for it in this exact episode uh, yeah. that you're hearing now uh for more details but it's kicking off very very soon and uh it's going to be much more low-key than it has been in previous years and uh, we have some, we got some fun stuff. Yeah, just to to, like a,
1: like a celebration of the great network that we are on, yeah. and the great creators that are included in it.
2: Yes, uh, and I, 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 mean, I think that's it. Hey, um, my uh, new graphic novel that I made with my family comes yeah. out next week. Uh, we got in a huge box with like sixty copies of it here at our house. So it's I don't a big don't know. old book. It's a big book, big big book. A lot uh, of work went into that. Yeah, mostly by Carrie Peach, the illustrator of the mm-hmm. book. But you can find it at the adventurezonecomic.com uh please pre-order it that would be very cool of you um and uh i think that's it i think that's where we're gonna wrap it up Mm -hmm. and um well
1: thank you to flowers and trees
2: thanks to flowers and trees
1: thanks to grass and bushes
2: oh doing great work this week bushes Clouds though. Clouds. What is this show turning into? Clouds and sun. Clouds, sun, stars, space, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. air—all part of the beautiful atomic collage. Oh God! Mm. Just—is it too late to change the name of the podcast?
1: No, definitely not.
2: I'll send. I'll send an email to Apple.
1: MaximumFun.org.
0: Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.
2: Rocket Ship One, this
1: is Mission Control. Come in. This is Rocket Ship One. Go ahead. Rocket Ship, what's your status on Max Fun Drive? Shouldn't we have seen it by now? Sorry about that, Mission Control. Turns out I miscalculated. Current projected ETA for Max Fun Drive is July 13, But it looks different. It'll be for... Four weeks, so it's longer than expected, but all readings point to... low-key?
2: Oh, that'll be good.
1: But can you verify that there are still special gifts for new and upgrading monthly members?
2: Verified. Sweet gifts for new and upgrading members, plus amazing new episodes and even special weekly live streams for charity. Copy that. Rocketship, can you
1: confirm eta for Max Fundrive? 90% probability of Max Fundrive from July 13 to August 7. Did you say
2: 90%? There were a couple of decibel places and I might have carried a zero wrong.
1: I'm just going to pencil in July 13th to August 7th. Mission control out.